Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art produced by New Adventures in Sound Art. On today's show, we have two artists, Tansy Chow from New York and Vero Maranger from Montreal. They both have audiovisual works that are featured in an online screening on November 20th. Their pieces can be viewed at nasa.ca, which would certainly uh, add to the experience of this episode of Making Waves, as we'll be covering artwork that is audiovisual in nature. To give a sense of what we'll be talking about, I'll play an excerpt from the soundtrack of each video before sharing my conversation with Tansy and Vero. Tansy Jow's Bone in Air is a video that actually has a participatory element to it, as the video also functions as a graphic score for audience members to add their own vocal sounds to the piece when they're experiencing it. Bone in Air explores the relationship between natural sounds and the human body by combining sounds that are perceived by the audience member both internally and externally. Here's a short sample of the pre-recorded audio from the video Bone in Air by Tansi Zhao.
¿Qué haré con el miedo? 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 Next, we'll sample the soundtrack from Rose Raid by Vero Maranchère. Rose Raid evokes a relationship between a desk, a rose bush, and a female human. It is inspired by New Materialism, Ecosophy, and Donna Haraway's Thulacine. Sometimes frenetic and sometimes contemplative, this video proposes a world that deforms without ever completely destroying or building itself. Thank <laughs> you. 
tu que tu me dis That was Rose Raid by Vero Maranger. Now here's my conversation with Vero and Tenzi Zhao. So I was wondering if both of you are familiar with the term uh, video music or maybe visual music. Is that a familiar term? Uh, yeah, uh, Tenzi, if you want to answer first. <laughs> Um, actually, no. <laughs> okay, yeah, because that, uh, I mean, in a sense, uh, both of you have, are coming at uh, the pieces that you're sharing from different backgrounds, uh, from what I can tell. Uh, Vero uh, comes from um, kind of electroacoustic music background, is that right? Yes. And then there's um, more, in the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years, there's been people in that field making video works that combine uh, imagery uh, with music and in a kind of abstract kind of play between the two. Um, but then there's also people that have visual arts background making, you know, videos and films that don't have very much narrative content either, um, but that come from visual arts background. And I guess that would be reflective of you, right, Tansy? Um, yes, it's kind of liberating for me to um, to start doing sound art because I know absolutely nothing about it. And that makes me kind of a three-year-old in this field, which allows me to actually explore and adventure in a lot of things and areas that I normally wouldn't do in my comfort zone. It's a, it's interesting how this type of work has different name. Like even in, in Montreal, like if you go to Concordia, you'll likely call that a video artwork. But if you go to University of Montreal or Electroacoustic Program, you'll call it a video music. Uh, that's interesting. I think the difference lies in the focus on the sounds, the music. Like if you come from a visual background, you're more, li more likely to consider the sound as a tool for the visual. Whereas when you come from a um, musical or electroacoustic background, you'll consider both as being independent and like forming something new. So I guess that's why we tend to call it video music. Uh, but I find it weird. I, I prefer uh, video artwork. <laughs> oh, you do? And why is yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because no one else says video music except like electroacoustic people. So every time I say video music, people are really confused. But when I say video artwork, people understand like way better. And do they, 
expect it to have the kind of music that you do in it? Nope. <laughs> but Not at all. Easier to explain, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and there also, there's also a long history of graphic scores. Um, John Cage and um, like Ligeti and a lot of musicians, especially in the 50s, they used a lot of um, graphic scores because um, with the emerging of new music, there needs to be a new language to um, to express and describe what they're doing. So a lot of musicians with um, actually no um, visual art background started to venture in this new field um, of like twisting and inventing new symbols and graphics for their music, um, for the musicians who play their music to interpret in their own free ways. And so there's also that. What I try to do is more um, to create an immersive environment for people to explore the relationship between the visual and the sound themselves rather than um, to create an existing relationship for them. I was going to ask both of you about the relationship of sound and picture in each of your pieces. Is, is there a way that you would define that? Well, in the case of Rose Raid, the relationship is very, very intimate. It's, it was my main focus. Uh, for example, when the camera moves slow, it's because we hear the melodic drony synth. But the more the beat is introduced, the more the image moves fast and deconstruct itself like the beat. It was really important for me. Same goes for the second half of Rose Raid, where we are in the rose bush. As soon as we plunge into it, there is suddenly a soundscape of forests. Um, and when there's very glitchy, distorted moments in the sound, the image follows. It becomes glitchy. So for me, it was really important to propose a coherent world between the sound and the image, since I think they are both a uh, very strong uh, messenger. So yeah, it was really important for me uh, to create that very intimate uh, relationship. How about for you, Tansi? Uh, what was the relationship for you? I'm primarily a visual artist, so I think visually. So I created the visual first, then I sort of um, played on my MIDI controller to it. Like I sort of improvised to the visuals that I created. Wasn't intentionally trying to create this um, very coherent experience for the viewers, but rather to have them, because my visual is for people to actually have reactions to it, to to have for the audience to be the choir and to sing along and to create this um, audio visual experience themselves. Um, and the piece is called Bone and Air, which is like bone conduction and air conduction, the combination of both. So they experience the sound both from inside and outside of their bodies. Does, I mean, when you're planning the visual part of a piece uh, or the audit auditory part, is there uh, with this kind of integration, is there a need uh, perhaps to allow space for the other than, than if you were to do just a visual piece or just a sound piece that you wouldn't, you know, that you wouldn't do in those cases? Like, is there, is there kind of a, uh, a dialogue between the two elements that need to be orchestrated? I don't see it that way. I tend to see the sound and the visual as uh, belonging to the same world. 
So I tend to not uh, talk about my talk about rose raid in terms of conversation, but more like uh, the sound and the visual are the same thing. That's why I wanted to uh, for them to be so coherent and to be very timed. It's because I wanted to present them as the same thing. So for me, I don't really see it as a, a dialogue. So it's as if it was another mm. part of the sound. It's the body making the sound in a sense. I guess so. I guess so. I, 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 I'd say the dialogue in Rose Raid is really between the office space, the rose bush and the humans. That's the dialogue I wanted to present. But to present that type of dialogue, I needed to be sure that everything else was coherent. So the main focus was the dialogue between the symbols. I was going to say that I tend to let the audience make sense of the relationship between the audio and the video themselves. So I would um, just create the immersive environment, no matter through video or other form of installations for them. And um, then I create the sound. In terms of a dialogue, I wouldn't intentionally try to create the dialogue. It's just that when you're present, when you're in that space, no matter virtually or in reality, and you hear that sound, and it's the audience's job to actually make sense of that experience, I would say. Vero, what's, do you feel the audience's role is in your piece? Um, for me, you know, Rose Raid is so charged with a lot of symbol and a very complicated narrative that I think that, however, like, even if everything, I wanted everything to be very coherent, there is so much uh, to interpret by yourself that I really trust the people to, to, to do it because they have so much uh, to, to interpret. They have so much sem symbols. Uh, the piece is very intense. There's so much action that uh, you, yeah, you make the narrative yourself. You know, the, uh, I'm really, um, I think Tenzi and I have very different way of composing, which is really cool to, to hear and to see. Uh, but yeah, I want also the people to make their own uh, narrative of the piece. Uh, and some people have even told me really uh, interesting interpretation of Rose Raid, which I, I wasn't like aware of. I was like, what? You saw that in Rose Raid? Um, so yeah, I think there's... Um, always a place for the, the people to, uh, to, to feel it the way they want to feel your art. <laughs> yeah, what, what Vera just mentioned about um, trusting the audience, I think that's very important, probably in both of our wor works, to actually give the audience enough freedom to interpret or to participate in their own way, mm -hmm. instead of trying to dominate, dominate the, the narrative ourselves as artists. Do these pieces have a narrative? Since I'm very, very influenced by speculative fiction, like lately I've been reading a lot of Donna Haraway, Ursula Le Guin. Um, it was natural for me to build a very clear narrative from the start. So Rose Raid had, uh, had a storyline from the beginning. I wanted to talk about the life of a rose in times of great change. Um, after that, my guideline was to make a mostly 3D video artwork, but yeah, I had a, a, um, 
abstract notion of the storyline I wanted to present. But as any uh, artwork you make, uh, you have your idea of what you want to say. But after that, it really depends on how it, it shapes itself in the process. But I think I still talked about the life of a rose, uh, but in a very different way that it was supposed to be, I think. Actually, I was curious at which point the rose actually becomes digital. Because I feel like at the beginning, it was a real rose. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it became digital. And that's why it's the last image you see. It's the rose uh, at the end. Uh, I guess it's because I felt I was becoming digital <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> I really like that metaphor of uh, something real being transformed into the digital world. And remaining some of the authenticity, but but also being a completely different creature in that sphere. Well, you, you did that as well, I, I, I guess, because you, um, uh, you presented like uh, things that didn't belong in their in the environment. I, I never seen such big insects in a cinema before. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool how we uh, uh, what we presented was out of context in a way, but adapting to it. Uh, I don't know how to put it. Um, the territorialized um, objects and yeah, content. Exactly. I really like that about your uh, your artwork. Really awesome. Thanks. With digital techniques, we have a opportunity to change scale, um, making things larger than they are in the real world or in proportion to other things um is this a way of i guess using these techniques with things that are around us in the environment we're kind of as a way of absorbing them and internalizing them and then expressing them through our imagination is there is that sort of how these these things become uh our expression of them becomes digital because that's the primary expression now yeah, and it's cool to give uh, them a voice that you can't give them otherwise. Like, if your ladybug is, like, <laughs> so big in the teether, like, she, she, it, it's, it means that you, she becomes important. Like, she, I don't know how you, you saw it, Tenzi, but for me, uh, the digital um, is also giving voice to things that are not noticed otherwise also. Yeah, I agree. Um, if you think about it in ancient times, prehistoric times, everything was so much bigger. They're like, I don't know how long, but like 20 centimeter long um, dragonflies and um, all these animals, creatures were so much larger and even the prehistoric humans were larger and um, then global warming sort of happened and everything just shrank. Um, so, and also during the pandemic, a lot of um, abandoned spaces, like abandoned by humans were like reoccupied by animals and other creatures. And um, those were actually the owners of the land before humans occupied them. So that's also interesting to think about in terms of like to situate a larger than life item or an animal 
an insect in a human space. Um, that's like a, a post-apocalyptic scene to see. <laughs> Did the uh, pandemic, the, these empty theaters, that in, kind of informed the piece and it, it was a, kind of it was a springboard for this direction that you took? Well, I think, um, first of all, what is a theater? I think everything is a theater. And that's kind of a metaphor for what's going on in the world. Um, just literally everything. Um, after human traces faded, um, everything else just re-emerged. And that phenomenon for me is very interesting also. And in terms of... Um, theater settings per se, I would say um, it's really to present that um, everything we do and see is sort of theatrical. And also in terms of um, the digitalization of imagery, um, we're really living a world with secondary, with, yeah, with secondary experiences. Like there's no firsthand experience whatsoever. We experience everything through digital medium, through social media, at a very young age, and and even during nine one one, a lot of people's first reaction was that it's like a movie. You know what I mean? So, in a sense, the pandemic didn't start that; it really just intensified it. Right. I I think I interpreted it that way as well. Um, and it's the same for Rose Rate. That's why I modelized my own office space in 3D because I spent all year long with it. Because uh, I wasn't in the theater, I was at home. So Rose Rate is also about the lockdown in a way and the capability we have to find nature everywhere, even inside our home and our computer screen. So I think, I guess, the way I treated the computer screen uh is it maybe related to how tansy treated the, the empty theater so it's not just the theater but it's your studio yeah exactly and actually the theaters also they function as a public space and during the pandemic i actually realized more than ever the importance of public space um because I don't know how how's the situation in Canada. I assume that is so much better than in the States. Um, but to only access, have access to things that you paid for is a very painful experience, I would have to say. Um, because pre-pandemic, we would go to libraries and um, all those public areas, and we could access art and culture events for free in a lot of places. In, after the lockdown, really what we have is a small room that we paid for. <laughs> and all the other things just stopped <laughs> mattering. And um, and so that made me rethink about the importance of public space and what it means to working class people and um, people who don't have privileged space to live in. And yeah, that's all they have. And if anything, if anything needs to be reopened, then not necessarily theaters, but public space should be the first. That's so interesting. You're so right. Like during the, the lockdown, we were confronted to our own economic uh, situation. And it, it's making me realize that maybe this is why I talked about my office space, because it's all I had. <laughs> 
back in the days. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting thoughts. I guess on the one hand, it, it allowed, it afforded access to things, but you still required a computer and an internet connection and, and a reasonably good one uh, to access those, those uh, quote unquote free opportunities. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're only free to so many. Exact. Right. Exact. Like I had a computer. I was lucky enough to have a computer and have access to other things to a social life but uh, a lot of people didn't have access to that and uh so again maybe coming back to that question of what's ahead what is it that you would want to explore uh assuming that we're coming out of the pandemic i feel i want to continue exploring video artwork um because i discovered uh, a new way of uh, a new artistic expression because I'm used to performing live. And because of the pandemic, I was forced to reinvent myself and explore other ways of expressing myself. So I discovered that. And uh, I think I like it enough to continue exploring uh, 3D uh, uh, models, um, working with Blender, Unity, Touch Designer is what... I would like uh, to continue and as well as talking about digital transformation as well as ecological transformation. I think um, what was used to do Rose Raid, like the tools and the concepts, I think I want to keep that in my practice as well. And I think I would go into the field of immersive theater because what I try to create was only a two-dimensional experience for now. And in the future, I really hope that this could be a whole physical space um, where people can enter and make sounds um, to the visual cues, no matter what they are. It could be a light, it could be a color, um, shapes, anything or objects. They could make sound to those based on a graphic score. And so it would be more immersive. Um, that's, and I would include performances and um, live performances, no matter music or dance with um, projection. I also do video mapping. So that's the more physical aspect of my work. Well, I would go, <laughs> I would want to see that. That was Tansy Zhao and Viral Maranger in conversation with me, Darren Copeland, for Making Waves. Making Waves is heard the second Saturday of every month here on WGXC, and it's produced by New Adventures in Sound Art from South River, Canada. Thank you to those listeners and supporters that donated to the recent pledge drive for WGXC. Your contributions not only strengthen independent radio in your local region, but they also help to provide a wider audience and attention to artists from across the U.S. and around the world through Wayfarm's long history of international collaboration and sharing. For the remainder of the show, we're going to uh, listen to uh, some audio that's uh, from the screening that's taking place this evening on November 6th. Um, it includes music and video created by Laurel McDonald, who we heard from on last month's uh, episode of Making Waves. Uh, to view the video for this work, you can either join us live tonight at 7 p.m. 
by pre-registering at nasa.ca in order to get the uh, the show link. Uh, or a- after tomorrow, you can search for I Eat the Stars on YouTube. I Eat the Stars is an audiovisual presentation of songs composed by Laurel MacDonald. The words are adapted from the poetry collection A Responsibility to Awe by Rebecca Elson, who uh, had passed away back in 1999 at the uh, young age of 39. McDonald says about Elson that she uh, had an extraordinary power of intellectual and creative imagination in each of the dipolar realms of science and poetry. She recognized the intrinsic link between these realms, that each is essential to and inseparable from the other, as together they define and celebrate the entirety of the human psyche. Here is I Eat the Stars, with music composed and performed by Laurel McDonald, with words by Rebecca Elson, and sound mix by Phil Strong. Making Waves returns one month from now. Thank you for listening. They say we have woken from a long night of magic from a long dream of They say we have woken. They say we have woken from a long night of magic, from a long dream. Into the bones of my
the natural law, imagine the quick pulse, long look upon the sky, imagine the quick pulse, long look. The natural law, imagine the quick pulse, long look upon the sky, imagine the quick pulse, long look. The natural law, imagine the quick pulse, long look upon the sky, imagine the quick pulse, long look. They were not minor gods mounted in memoriam Nor were their animals savage Been like specimens upon the sky Instead, love dancing slow seductions on the manifolds of space and sky. Quick pulse, long look upon the sky. Quick pulse, long look.
I eat the stars. I eat the stars. Suck them from the quenching dark till they are all inside me. Pepper hot and sharp. I stir myself. I stir myself. Sometimes instead I stir myself into a universe still young and warm as blood. No outer space, the not yet stars, the light of all the not yet stars is drifting like a bright mist. And all of us and everything, all of us and everything already there but unconstrained. The not yet stars. A chrysalis Lie down here on earth Beside our long ancestral bones Walk across the cobble fields Of our discarded skulls Christmas. Walk across the cobble fields of our discarded skulls. Whatever left these husks behind flew off on bright wings. Flew off on
datum from the universe and fixed it in its column. Named the causes of infinity, performed the calculus of the imaginary I, it seems. The body too aches to come to the light. Transmit the grace of gravity. Express in its own algebra the symmetries of awe and fear. The shutter up the spine. The knowing passing like a cool wind that leaves the nape, hairs, leaping. Between satellites and stations